Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Teaching with Class Podcasts. Today is our third episode of season four. The magic of this podcast is that you can take specific strategies back to your classrooms that you can practice with your children immediately. I am your host, Monica Pujolnasev, and today we're going to be speaking about a fascinating topic. As teachers, we have all been there. So as everything we do with class, how can we do this intentional, intentionally, intentionally? <laughs> so we're going to be talking about music. And how can we, with music, build connections, build relationships, build brains of children? But also, how can music help you not to get burned out? So we have with us Mary Anderson. I just met her. I'm fascinated talking with her. I could speak with her forever. She is the founder of My Music Starts Here. And she's also the creator and host of Songs and Stories on Virginia PBS. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for being here with us. Tell us a little more about you. <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and speaking with you, Monica. Um, yes, so I was a music teacher, classroom music teacher, um, for almost 15 years with um, preschool students all the way to fifth grade. Um and then I was a curriculum designer, an instructional coach, and have kind of had a, a winding road to get to here. Um, but when I stepped out of the classroom, I really wanted to dive into the research around what I was seeing every day with my students. I was seeing music open them up. I was seeing music as a pathway to connect with them and to maybe just tap into another side of them, um, but also as a way, um, as a pathway for their learning, their connection with me, with their connection with other fellow students. And I really wanted to know what was happening. And so when I stepped away from the classroom, I dove into the research and really focused my attention on what happens at this intersection of early childhood brain development and what is going on in our brains when we interact with music. And that's where I lasered in and was just astounded at what I found and got really, really excited and wanted everyone else to know. <laughs> um, but also wanted all teachers, especially our early childhood teachers, to be empowered with this knowledge, but also empowered and supported in making it happen in their classroom. And so that's what led me to found uh, My Music Starts Here, which is our early childhood classroom music program. It's to integrate high quality music learning into a child's classroom not just once a week for 30 minutes, but into their everyday interactions with their teachers. Um, and then we also, my husband and I partnered and we have created and hosted a television show um, for PBS. And so those are two parts of our mission. It's the same mission, right? Is sharing high quality music with children 
Um, but we say our classroom program reaches children in their classrooms and our PBS show reaches them in their living rooms with their adults, <laughs> with their families, um, but sharing music with children and that high quality music um, and also surrounded with love and joy and this positive, positive, loving um, attitude for children that um, they are musicians and music is a part of their life and how to, to bring that out. Thank you, Mary. So let's talk about the impact of music in the interactions in the classroom, teachers with children, children with children, but because your mission also taps into music at home, feel free to speak also about the impact of music in the households with the family, please. Absolutely. So what I say this is kind of the bare bones, right? We can go into lots more detail, but when we share music with a child, it's a love language. We don't sing out of anger or frustration. When we sing, we are opening ourselves up to a child and the child will feel that. And a lot of teachers will give me feedback of, ah, I don't like my singing voice or I'm, I'm not comfortable doing this. And I actually like, that's actually when it's really good because you're really having to lean into your own vulnerability. You're trying something new. And when we do that, we are, we're opening ourselves up and the child will feel that they won't hear the quality of your voice. Sure. Like that when we get into the nitty gritty, we want you singing in the range that the child is comfortable singing in so that they can sing with you. And we could go, that's maybe that's another show <laughs> of these specifics. But for right now, focusing on it's not about the exact perfection and quality of your voice. It's that you're sharing love with them. You're saying, I love you and I trust you when you sing with them and when you invite them to move with you and dance with you and be silly and joyous with you, that is this pathway for connection and for love. And I have seen it over and over and over again when you have a child who might be nonverbal or a child who is very nervous or we, we know we can't control all of the parts of their environment. And so when they come into our classrooms, there's a, there might be a lot going on. And when we sing with them, we are saying, you are safe, you are loved, I'm glad you're here, and you're inviting them to open themselves up and to be a part of something larger than themselves. What better gift can we give our children? Well, music is a love language. I love it. <laughs> and... Teachers of the world, she's speaking all class, right? This is emotional support all the way. And it's setting that brain up for, okay, this is a good place. This is a good person. I'm safe. I'm ready to learn. Mm -hmm. And I do have to, when you're talking, I don't sing anything. But as a teacher in the classroom, my children love my songs. They are my goof, my only fans. <laughs> I would only sing in front of my children. And they love that they did not care about my voice on my beat or anything like that. Um, so I do hear your teachers out there. If you feel that way, you know that your, your children love hearing your voice. Well, and I would say too, I mean, some teachers think, oh gosh, I, I can't do this. 
I'm like, you know what? Start in your car by yourself. Just start singing, right? When you're by yourself. And then maybe in a couple of days, close your classroom door <laughs> so you don't feel like someone walking down the hall is going to walk by and somehow judge you, which my gosh, that would be terrible if they did. But, you know, if that helps you to feel more secure in doing it, do whatever it takes because it's worth it. Your children deserve that connection and you deserve that connection with them. And it's helping you to feel good as well. So whatever you need to do to practice or to get where it's more comfortable for you, do it because it's worth it. <laughs> Excellent tip in the car. Nobody's here. You're just driving and you're singing. I do that too because nobody hears me. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so in a... Preliminary conversation, we touched on the science of this, mm. right? This is what gives all of this content credibility, right? All that research behind what's happening in the life of a child mm -hmm. when we sing with them. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? I would love to. So this is where I just love to kind of nerd out. <laughs> Um, when I was reading this research at this kind of intersection point, right, early childhood brain development and what happens in our brains when we engage with music, um, I truly, I was just blown away and I kind of started to organize the research into different groupings. And the first one is just the general brain development of our children and how music It's almost like it's training the brain of what's important to keep and to hold on to, because we know that kind of between ages three and seven, children's brains are going through kind of a pruning stage where it's saying, okay, wow, I have had this rapid growth for the first three years, but now I need to decide what, what's actually important and what do I need to hold on to? And I see music as kind of this almost like a weightlifting <laughs> exercise for the brain because it's strengthening the parts of the brain that they need for all of this future learning that they're going to be doing. And so it's strengthening the parts of their brain that they need for communication skills, for literacy skills, for problem solving skills, um, all of those, you know, those types of skills, but also their social emotional development which I think um, I love leaning into that. I mean, that's always been so, so, so important for our young little learners in the classroom. But especially in this post-COVID era, I feel like we're seeing some new challenges in the classroom because children who were born during the pandemic are now in our preschools. And it looks a little bit different and we need to be armed with ways to build their social emotional development skills and music can do that and it can help them to feel safe. It also helps them to be more empathic. So they have empathy towards each other. They can communicate with each other. Um, when But we have to kind of qualify it a little bit. It's not all music, right? So that's something else I'd love to talk about is we have to look critically. We have to be willing to look at how we're using music and ask, 
is this really accomplishing what I'd like it to? Because the power of music, the full power of music is incredible. Um, but we've got to maybe move away from music for entertainment, music for like a specific task and start using music um, in a way that really does all of the things that I'm talking about. So let's, let's rewind from that point, right? What is the purpose of mm -hmm. using music? So that's the first thing we have to become intentional about as teachers with children in the classroom. So once you have that clear, then you know how to approach it. Mm -hmm. So I want to dissect how you say it so that the teachers can take this with them, right? How is it that music helps the children develop cognition? How is that that they can communicate through music? And, and you already explained a little bit about social and emotional development, mm -hmm. but can, you, can we start with that piece of, let's start with communication. How does music impact the brain in a way that children can actually communicate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so when we share finger plays, um, when we share rhyming songs, when we share um, any kind of music that's associated with a movement, um, whether it's steady beat or movement that's associated with the words that they're singing or saying, that is building. That's the um, it's overlapping neurons is more of the sciencey term, <laughs> um, but let's just say area of their brain. <laughs> Um, because that makes the most sense for me, but that's using the same part of their brain that they that they will use to communicate, and that's not a far leap, right? Because when we're sharing a finger play that is telling a story in sequence, in order, it's using rhyming words and maybe expanding their vocabulary just a little bit, um, possibly counting, um, and so they're using um, their hands. Um, to show the counting or they're using their body to show what's happening in the story. All of that is what they need to build this vocabulary so the communication is easier. But one of the other things it's doing is it's focusing or it's strengthening their auditory working memory. And the way that this makes sense to me is that it means that when they're hearing things, it's going in and sticking instead of, you know, kind of that, what we say, something like, I think that went out, you know, what went one ear and out the other or whatever that saying is. This stops that, right? It's strengthening their auditory working memory so that as we're talking, as we're building their vocabulary and we're having these positive interactions with them, but when we're doing finger plays and when we're singing songs, and we're singing songs over and over and over again, right? You never sing a song once and be like, eh, they didn't like it moving on. Oh my gosh, no way. <laughs> you have to give them that ownership piece. Um, then it's going in and it's sticking. And it's like when they then go to communicate, they have this full toolbox to pull vocabulary from and expression from. My gosh, I am... I always put myself in the shoes of the teacher because I'm not in the classroom, but I am a teacher. Yeah. And thinking that through music, that repetition that is so important to retain, the tone and the rhythm, yeah. and the children are, are 
acquired all of that for days and days and days, and this is going to be a moment that they can actually use that new word in context, because in that song, there was some context. Absolutely. I love it. I hope you teachers are enjoying this as much as I am. <laughs> so you touch on literacy. So you're talking about the stories of music and the repetition and the sequencing. So can you connect that to literacy mm-hmm. and different aspects to literacy? Absolutely. So, I mean, as, as I was just saying, like with finger plays, especially, or folk songs that are telling a story, it's not just words repeated over and over and over again. It's telling a story that's compelling, that the children want to know what, what's happening in this story. And then they want to retell it. That is just building all of these components that they need for early literacy skills. Um, But one of the biggest bodies of research that truly just blew me away, and I was in the classroom, you know, for such a long time. I have several degrees in music education, and I really did not know this until I stepped out and read it for myself and then was just blown away, is around steady beat and literacy skills. So steady beat is giving children the opportunity to listen to music, whether it's recorded, whether you're singing it, whether you're playing on a drum or another instrument, and keeping the beat to that music. I I mean, I tell teachers all the time, just put on some music that's appropriate and have them pat their laps to the steady beat. And that's all you need to do. And of course, you can get fancier with it and um, all kinds of ways to keep them engaged and that kind of thing. But keeping a steady beat supports children being able to read. And if you think about breaking down um, what it takes for a child to keep the steady beat, first, they have to identify the steady beat in the music, they have to feel that. And then They have to have the physical coordination to make their body land on what they're hearing and what they're feeling. And all of that skill set is in the same area of the brain, that overlapping neurons we talked about before. It's all the same part of their brain that then when they go to read, which is decoding, right? Looking at symbols and knowing what sounds they make and making their mouth do it. (laughs) And so it's all in there. It's all the same. And so I tell teachers, when you are keeping a steady beat, you are preparing those little learners to read. And that's how important it is. There's so many longitudinal studies with cohorts of kids when they're given the ability or the opportunity to keep a steady beat, even just three times a week, we're not even talking every day. And of course I say every day, every day, all the time, (laughs) Um, but three times a week, their reading scores are higher in third grade than other peers that weren't given those opportunities. That's how powerful it is. And it's easy to do and it's fun and it's playful children it is the rare child that if you were to start playing a drum that it's the that they wouldn't immediately react and want to be a part of it 
Um, music, right, is part of what makes us human. We are genetically made to react to beat and to react to a human voice singing. That's part of our DNA. And so as teachers, we can tap into that power and engage our students. They think they're playing and they're bonding with you. And you can know, huh, well, all of this awesome stuff is happening, but I got news for you, little kiddo. I'm also building your brain for everything that you need to do within the next few years. Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Just one more thing, because the teachers might be thinking, what can I use to do that? You said lab uh, on the labs, they can use their own body. What else can they use that they have in the classroom that is right there? Absolutely. So in the My Music Starts Here program, we always start on our laps because we want all children to be able to do it, right? Um, but we also model using rhythm sticks. We also model using egg shakers. I love egg shakers because they are the perfect size for little hands. They can't, they're too big to put them in their mouths. They also give a kinesthetic feedback. So when the child is shaking the egg shaker, they're, they're feeling that hit in their hand because of the beads on the inside, but it's not um, overstimulating. Like a, like a jingle bell or something, which is really loud. And if not everyone is exactly on the steady beat with an egg shaker, it doesn't matter. It just all sounds kind of soothing and it gives this kind of groove that everybody can be a part of. Um, so I love egg shakers <laughs> for that reason. Um, but certainly with, I would start, you know, maybe, maybe about three older threes, but certainly by the time they're four, they can manage rhythm sticks. But I really recommend getting the short fat rhythm sticks. Maybe they're about six to eight inches long and thick, right? We don't want long and skinny because they're just not physically able to control the sticks that are that long. And then they either get out of control and the whole learning outcome that you were going for with those rhythm sticks is lost because they can't hit it on the beat. They're too long and they might accidentally hit themselves or hit someone else, which we super don't want. Um, so if you are going to introduce rhythm sticks, I highly recommend getting um, the short and fat ones. <laughs> Look at all the ideas that are right there. And we do have those materials in the classrooms as teachers. Mm -hmm. Let's just use them to make music. And when you were talking about the egg shakers, I thought using recyclable materials to create, I don't know, maybe a tennis ball that you cut in half and you put something inside like sand or mm -hmm. rice or, and then you tape it and then you have a egg shaker that so is that I, kind of size. Yes. I have visited teachers. I just... Oh my gosh, whenever I go into a classroom, I always come out with like a better idea than I could have ever thought of. And so many teachers, especially in the spring, they'll be doing these bigger units on how do we recycle? How can we find materials in our homes that we could reuse or repurpose? And one of the coolest things was toilet paper rolls. And then they wrapped the top and wrapped the bottom with, you know, you can do anything, paper or tissue paper or Kleenex even. And then they uh, filled it with beans or rice. 
And the children decorated the toilet paper rolls and all the things, and they were so proud of them. And they make a wonderful sound. Um, I wouldn't do that with toddlers <laughs> because they just want to deconstruct it and take out the beans. <laughs> Um, but with our olders, <laughs> our fours and fives, they're exactly, yeah, put it right in their mouth. Ah! Um, but with fours and fives, man, they are, they're ready for it. And they take such pride in making their own instrument. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. I, I almost want to go back to the classroom and try some of these strategies. <laughs> <laughs> so the points that I was Writing, you did touch on social emotional skills because especially the, the emotional skills of connection and, okay, I, I feel happy. I feel that you are the person I can trust. Mm -hmm. um, would you just share one strategy to build those social skills with one another? Mm -hmm. The I don't know, sharing music or singing together or dancing together that comes from doing music in the classroom. Yeah. Well, what I always recommend for classrooms is whole group music making. So it's wonderful if you have like a music center or you have, um, you know, boxes of little instruments that the children can explore when they're going through their stations or their centers or, you know, whatever it is. That's wonderful. But that's not tapping into the full power of music. The full power of music is released when we're creating music together. And that's to me when this, where I will see a classroom of children come together. And the science behind that, right, is when we sing together, when we laugh together, when we're all being a little bit vulnerable, maybe, and doing a silly movement song where we're flapping our wings and we're shaking our tails and we're stomping or whatever it is. Um, all of these hormones are being released into the air and into our bodies that are connecting us. We're sharing an experience, an emotional experience together, and we're being vulnerable together. And that is, oh, that is when this magic happens, that even when our children, you know, it's not rational for us to expect, oh, every child in my classroom is going to be friends with every other child. That's, that's not life, right? But we can learn to, okay, yeah, you're not my favorite person, but I do love being in this community with you. Yeah. And I do feel connected and I feel safe with you, but maybe I don't want to spend, you know, every minute of my recess time with you. And that is fine, but we have to empower our children and ourselves to be a part of a community. And when we create music as a whole group, that's what happens. And if you think about it, when we participate in music together, we are becoming a part of something that we couldn't recreate on our own. And to me, that's one of these pieces that makes music stand apart from other disciplines. Because when we have to have each other to create it. Sure, we can sing in the car, like we talked about on our own, and we can sing when we're by ourselves, and that's awesome. But whoa, are the benefits ramped up when we share that moment and share that magic together. 
And so I think one of the most powerful tools we have as teachers for this social emotional development and giving children these opportunities to bond with each other and bond with us and for us to bond with them is whole group music making, singing songs, sing songs in your morning circle time, but not don't sing at your children, sing with them. Give them the song over and over and over again until they've mastered it and it's theirs, they own it. And so then you're singing together and that's when they feel connected and that they truly belong and you'll feel it too. It's not just for the kiddos. <laughs> Um, and you saying that last piece, when they're having this connection and they're laughing with each other and looking at each other's faces and they are releasing that oxytocin, that is what's making music a love language because oxytocin is the hormone of love. <laughs> <laughs> it is, absolutely. So Mary, to, to start wrapping up, Please touch on the last piece of the teachers. So all these are wonderful things that we know children enjoy is play and they are developing their brain and their hearts and those connections and those relationships and that literacy. Um, how does music help our teachers out there? So this is something I am really focused on right now, and I'm starting to write about it. I'm giving presentations on it because we're burned out. <laughs> we are tired as a group of teachers and educators and administrators. We are tired. And I feel like when we hear this term self-care, sometimes that might be interpreted as, okay, I'll push through my work day, I'll get through it. And when I get home, that's when I'll take care of myself. That's when I'll do the things that nourish me and make me feel better. What I want us to start thinking about is, oh man, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't feel like we had to push through our school day? Wouldn't it be nice if we really were, we felt relaxed and happy <laughs> during our school day with our children, because our children will feel that. And so if we can tap into the power of music throughout the school day for our children, of course, but also for ourselves. And so I want teachers to be looking for ways to incorporate the music that they love as long as it's appropriate for children. And But putting that in because, like, think about your favorite song or think about just a, a genre, a type of music that you love and sit with that for a minute, kind of hear it in your head. And if it's really your favorite, like, you kind of start to smile and you might start to groove a little bit. And when that happens, like your whole body gets on board, right? <laughs> and all of these like, ooh, feel good um, hormones are starting to be released. So if we're sharing music, in a classroom with children that we love, it's a way of taking care of yourself. But also what we just talked about, making music in a community, even if our community is three and four years old, it's still releasing those hormones because we're playing and we're, we're expressing that love language 
and all of those hormones are being released. And so it's self-care for us to be sharing this joyful music making in our classrooms. Fascinating. Every <laughs> word you've shared with us is so exciting and it's, oh, I hope, uh, again, teachers are getting so much out of this and can't wait to go and dance with the children. <laughs> so let, let's start closing this beautiful episode with three takeaways, three or four or five takeaways that you know that are, they can take tomorrow to be with their children. And it's easy. It's right there for them. Okay. Um, so I obviously have millions, <laughs> but I'm going to try to uh, limit myself. <laughs> Um, to some true, like, do it tomorrow kind of thoughts. Um, I think the first one is more overarching. And when I work with teachers, I always ask them, let's start with what music do you already use? Because I have never met an early childhood educator that doesn't use music in some way. So let's take a look at that. So I would encourage you to go through your day, just like you always have, but now, when you choose to use music, just kind of take a step back and ask yourself, huh, how am I using this music and why? What is my, my desired outcome, right? Am I using it to help them with a specific task, like cleanup songs? Am I using it as entertainment to kind of let them play a little bit or wiggle or dance or whatever? Um, or am I using it to teach something? Am I using it to bond with them? Just ask yourself those questions about how, why am I using this? And then also say, also observe what happens to the children after the song. So much of the time, and I've been caught in this trap as well, you know, it's a full moon, it's been raining for three days. And you're like, oh, I, they got to get their wiggles out. They're crawling up the walls and you put on something that's pretty stimulating and fast. And then <laughs> you think they, okay, they've gotten their wiggles out. Now it's time to calm down, but that doesn't happen. What's just happened is like, I kind of say, it's like, you've just opened up their brain, poured a pixie stick in there. And now you're saying, okay, sit down <laughs> and be still. Well, you've, their brain has just received the message. It's time to wiggle and play and it's overstimulating. And so their nervous systems are like, Whoa, what just happened? So observe what happens after the song, after the recorded music, because that will give you some pretty powerful insight of, you know, <laughs> maybe this actually isn't the best thing to do. Um, or maybe it worked beautifully. And so, man, store that one away in your toolbox and use that one again. <laughs> um, so kind of take that step back, look at yourself a little critically of why am I using this and what was the outcome? Because that might guide you to some shifts and some changes you might want to make. Um, but the other two things are kind of do this tomorrow. Do do this to give your kids this wonderful musical opportunity. The first one is steady beat. Find ways to get your kiddos keeping the steady beat, patting their laps, speaking finger plays with rhythm is awesome. <laughs> that is powerhouse. Oh my gosh. That's like so, so, so good for their brains. Um, so keep the steady beat. And then 
the other one is kind of a, a shout out to teachers who have listened to this and are thinking, this is great for people who like to sing or for people who are comfortable with singing. And I will say to you of just try it, just try it, that when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and say, okay, I don't feel great about this, but I'm going to try it. Children do not hear, oh, wow, she's a terrible singer. (laughs) Although they might tell you, right? (laughs) Because they're really honest. (laughs) So be prepared for that. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. Um, But when we do that, it's going back to exactly how we opened up the conversation is you are sharing love. You are saying it's safe to take risks here. It's safe to try new things here because look at me, I'm trying this. That's what they'll hear and that's what they'll feel. And you're giving them permission to do it as well. And you're forming this bond and this connection through this pathway of music. So I say, try it, just do it and see what happens. (laughs) And now that you said that last part, how can they incorporate different cultures into these experiences? Oh my goodness. There's so much good stuff we could dive into here. Um, So one of, let's okay. So I'll give one suggestion (laughs) is look at your classroom of children and maybe reach out to one of their adults in their lives to see if they might share some of the musical language, the musical culture from their household. What songs do they sing? What finger plays do they know? If you have a more international feel in your classroom, the grandparents I have found are a gold mine of musical resources, poems, finger plays, songs. Invite them in. If they don't feel comfortable coming in, Sometimes I've had to ask them to just video themselves doing it, which they are like, oh, I don't know. But you say, oh, no, no, it's just for me. I just want to learn it so that I can share it with everybody. And so they'll feel more comfortable with that. Um, If you don't have a, you know, an international kind of mingling in your classroom, you need to go out and find those songs and those finger plays from different cultures so that you can give that gift to your students. But, you know, music, this kind of sounds cliche and I kind of hate it sometimes, but it's so appropriate is music is the universal language. Music does not have borders. <laughs> and we need to tap into that and share that with our all of our children, which really also goes back to that empathy piece and having empathy for someone who might talk different than you and you can still sing songs and communicate and feel a part of a larger community together through music. Bravo. Love it. <laughs> I could speak with you forever. I'm telling I you. Want I like to we could <laughs> <laughs> so just to close this episode, I want to thank you so much for coming in, for sharing your expertise all these amazing tips that they can take back. And I also want to thank my teachers, of course. You are the architects of the brain. Thank you for sharing your love and wisdom with your children of the world out there. 
And we're going to see you in the next episode and hear you. Please know, beautiful teachers, that you can always ask questions on the class learning community. And if you have that kind of magic that you want to share with others, please let us know. and We would love to have you on board. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, everyone. I will hear you the next time.